All right, Two Hats family, we have our newest family member, David, here. David is a adult probation officer in Yuma, Arizona. So for those out west that want to hear about how things are done out there, David's going to answer all our questions today. David, go ahead and say hi to the people. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm excited to be here. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all ears, and, and if you guys have any questions, I'll be more than happy to answer them and kind of give you a little, uh, you know, overview of how we do things here in uh, in the great Southwest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, David, we've got a couple questions that we start everybody out with. On mm-hmm. a two hat scale of one to 10, with one being a social worker and two, 10 being a cop, a deputy sheriff, where would you say your department lies on that two hat scale? Uh I would have to say about 50, 50. Um, about like five. Yeah. About a five because um, we're huge on, uh, you know, cognitive, cognitive based therapy. Um, We're huge on motivational interviewing. Um, We use this tool called epics. Um, It means uh, effective practices in correctional settings. So it's basically used, you know, to help the offender, um, you know, change, change behavioral patterns, change behavioral thoughts, change your thoughts and, you know, kind of help them out and guide them. But at the same time, our, our department is very uh, officer friendly as well. Um, you know, we, 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 we carry firearms. We go through defensive tactics annually. Uh, we go through refreshers annually. Cause we, I mean, we know, we understand, um, we're here to try to make a difference in our community and influence, you know, the offenders. But at the same time, we know the type of people that we're dealing with, you know, so, so I would have to say 50, 50. Where would you say you are personally on a two hat scale? Cause sometimes it's a different question where your department <laughs> is and then where you are. You know, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's tricky. I guess it depends on the day and if, if it's a full moon or not. <laughs> Uh, because I, I, uh, I work a, a domestic violence caseload. So, uh, a large, I want to say about 80% of my caseload are male. So they're very, they're very, um, how can I put this, uh, manipulative in a sense. So I kind of have to be on my toes, you know, and they're going to tell me what I want to hear. And I think that's just part of the nature of a, of a batterer. You know, they, they, a lot of them tend to be very narcissistic. Um, so they'll, they'll, they'll tell me what I want to hear, you know, in order to avoid, you know, the whole law enforcement side of it. Um, but again, I'm a, I, uh, I served as a chaplain in the United States Air Force Reserve. So uh, my pastoral side comes out a lot when I'm talking to, to my people. So um, I would probably have to say I'm more, I lean a little bit more towards the social work side, you know, um, okay. because uh, as that's just it in my nature uh, mm-hmm. as a chaplain and, and, and as a man of faith, it, my nature is to, you know, reach out and try and help out as much as I possibly can. Um, but at the same time, I am aware, you know, I, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in this group in the office called the emergency response team. Um, it's not as it's not as fancy and fun as it sounds. <laughs> uh, basically, basically, uh, what we do there is it's it's just about maybe a group of 
10 to 12 officers that are allowed to carry within the department. Um, in case something goes down, um, we, we respond to that. Uh, if we have somebody that's either getting loud or, 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 you know, getting physical or stuff like that, we're the ones to respond to that. So, yeah, I may lean a little bit, a little bit more towards the social work side, but you know, when it gets tough or, or if things go down, I'm not, I'm not going to hesitate. <laughs> Put that work in. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. So what made you decide to get into this field of work? Was it your past experience being a, a pastor in ministry? Uh, it's a funny story, honestly. Um, I've, uh, I, 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 I've worn so many hats, you know, in the type of jobs that I've done, you know, I've done, I worked in banking, I worked in, in, uh, in the healthcare risk, risk management. Um, it's crazy. I, I just call it fate and destiny the way, the way it worked out. Um, I was working for, for our local hospital here and they, they went through like this huge downsizing. Right. Um, so they laid off about 300 people. And unfortunately I was one of those. And, um, a friend of mine was working for an organization that works for the blind and visually impaired. And he says, uh, Hey man, why don't you just come work for us for a little bit? You know, you know, I'm going to help you out. I know, I know you're, you're a newlywed and you need a job. I was like, all right, yeah, cool, whatever. So I get there and my role is to help um, people with, you know, who are visually impaired get back into the workforce so I take one of my clients to a job fair and I see that probation is hiring. And I just thought, Hey, how hard can it be? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I honestly, I had no idea what probation was. I had no idea. Uh, you know, I just thought, you know, my friends in high school were on probation, you know, and, and they're like, yeah, they come and check up on me and that's it. You know, they make sure I'm not doing drugs. And I thought that probation was that, you know, just checking up on people and, uh, and uh, making sure they're not doing anything you know, dumb. And I said, ah, I could probably do this and it looks fun, you know? So I applied and, and I actually fell in love with the job. Um, once I got, I started, I started working and, and um, it, uh, it kind of opened my eyes to my community and it opened my eyes to see like, you know, I can't believe this is happening in, in Yuma, you know, Yuma, Arizona. And uh, just being able to be part of um, you know, an organization that helps people get back up on their feet. I, I just, I fell in love with it. And uh, I've actually been doing this for, for, I want to say about five years. And I think I'm going to stay here for the long run. Um, it's crazy. And, and I don't know, it's just, it's just, it's just destiny, you know, and I, I, I believe in, in, in purpose and that everything happens for a reason. And, you know, every, every situation that I have been through personally kind of led me to where I'm at now. Wow. Yeah. That's dope. That's mm -hmm. deep. Yeah. And yeah, that's deep too. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of familiar to me because I didn't have a background in criminal justice either. Mm -hmm. I was in the healthcare field before starting to get into probation mm -hmm. and kind of like you said, you know, you had some friends that were on probation, so you knew a little bit, but not too much about it. Right. And I personally have had family members on probation and I knew like, okay, you got to go see this PO once a month. Mm -hmm. But when I got into it, kind of like you, I just really fell in love with it. So I think, I think that's pretty dope. Cool. Do you, um, what exactly do you like about it? Is it, is it the two hats side of it? 
Yeah, that's 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 uh I would have to say we have a 10 hats, you know, <laughs> everything, you know, it's, it's uh, working with treatment providers, you know, um, it's uh, sometimes I feel like I'm teaching like a parenting class, you know, with certain right. people, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's no knowing, I mean, unfortunately, you know, the success rate is, is um, honest. I don't know about percentages in our County, Um you know, it's, it's, it's not as high as I would like it to be, you know, but whenever I see, whenever I see people in our, our community is pretty small, you know, and, and uh, I think Yuma during the winter time, we probably have maybe about 200, 200,000 people. Um, and then when they go, when over in the summertime, it, it literally like goes down in half, you know, because uh, we're a huge agricultural com- a community. So we have people that come from, uh, from California, you know, back and forth every year. We have what we call snowbirds. Uh, so they come from up north, from Canada, from all the northern states where it's cold. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, our weather here is, is, is beautiful during the wintertime. Um, during the summertime, we're looking at 100 and, 120 degrees. It's, hor- <laughs> it's horrible. But um, so we Especially look at... The best. Yeah, yeah, especially when wearing the vest. Uh, that's why I like those thirteen fifty apparel shirts. Shout out! We're gonna tag them in this yeah, episode. Yeah, for real. Uh, no, but uh, it's we it's, take sponsorships, yeah. y'all. We take sponsorships. <laughs> but it's it's um, I don't know. Sometimes I ramble and I lose my train of thought. I'm sorry. I think I'm just not. I'm, like, I'm like huge ADD man. It, it gets me in trouble at work sometimes. <laughs> but um, fine, it's it's uh, you know the uh, the demographic of people that we work with. You know we we get to see them around town a lot. You know and even on our off days. Um, so it, it makes me happy whenever I see, um, you know somebody that I that I supervised years ago, um, and they remember me. You know and it's like it's like. Uh, one one specific one particular guy that I supervised, um, he ended up completing probation successfully. I saw him probably maybe f- two three years after the fact. Um, he looked very well, you know. He he was clean, you know. He looked healthy. Um, he was with his wife. He had a bunch of kids, and and I had I hadn't seen him since he had a completed probation. And he walks up to me, and I'm like. Oh, man, who is this guy? And I couldn't, I couldn't put a name to it until I, I, I recognized him. And he's like, Hey, David, I just want to take, I just want to tell you, thank you, man. You know, thank you for, for everything you've done. You know, I was able to get my family back, my kids back. I'm working, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And that in itself is very rewarding. You know, yeah, sometimes we have to deal with, with some knuckleheads, you know, people that know the system, they know exactly what to say, what to do. That's just part of the job, you know, but if, if out of 10 people, only two of them, you know, are successful and, and are able to make an impact in their, in their, you know, their bubble, their family, you know, that works for me because now we have a restored father or a restored husband, you know, that is influencing their kids and they're breaking that pattern. They're breaking that cycle there. See what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, a, that's a big, uh, that's a big mm-hmm. part of this job. Cause yeah. I mean, we don't do it for the pay. We, we all right. know that it's not for the money. It's really for those lives that we affect and that we change. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's definitely it. So, all right. So, got a couple questions to uh, kind of get into before we get into the um, your actual caseload, the specialized domestic violence mm-hmm. caseload. Let's talk more about this uh, emergency response team. So, we have one where I'm at, but mm-hmm. it sounds like our team, our team though has the same name, is different from yours. Okay. Like ours, they have we have officers in every single county, and they respond to um, like any kind of uh, anything the governor needs in the state so if it's like like natural disasters um riots unrest um you know if there's any kind of big operations going on then they call our emergency response team like i said there's i think there's a few officers in every single county in the whole state Mm -hmm. and like i said they all get together and do whatever is needed like if there's a prison break or something like that they can go out they can get called out do things like that so that's what our team does so go ahead and explain a little bit more about what your team does you said our team, it, it, I mean, what you guys do is awesome, man. I wish we could do that. <laughs> like I'm I not said, on it. I try to get on it. Uh, for some reason, they, they didn't pick me, but mm, yeah, go ahead. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's not as as interesting or as fun as it sounds, at least for us. Um, so like, like I was telling you guys earlier, it's, it's a group of – Is not everyone in our department is allowed to carry within 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 our department. I think oh, really? It's just um, – I, inside the office, inside of the office. Okay. Um, we do so have, everyone can carry, but not everyone can carry can, in yeah, the office. Everyone, everyone can carry. Everyone has the option to carry. Um, oh, so it's not mandatory for you guys. It's not mandatory. Um, okay. Uh, only, only, only specialized caseloads have to carry. Um, like that. We, ha- we do have a warrants caseload. They have to carry. It's not as active as it used to be. Um, we do have... I think the sex offender caseload they have to carry, if I'm not mistaken. I would have to get, I would have to check on that. And and of course, um, as a domestic violence officer, I carry. Um, <laughs> the way I see it is, uh, if they don't hesitate to, you know, hurt their kids or their spouse, they're not going to hesitate to want to hurt me. So, so that's one of the reasons I carry. But going back to the uh, the ERT, um, not everybody in the office is allowed to carry a weapon. Is there a reason why? Um, it just policy. I think it, that was that was up to the chief at the time that made up that policy. Um, I honestly, I I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, so if I if I can carry, I'm I'm certified to carry. Mm-hmm. I can carry in a field, but once I get in the office, I gotta lock it up. You have to lock it up. Yeah. That is <laughs> silly. You guys haven't contested that. It's interesting. We have. Um, in the past, actually, some supervisors have in the past, but ultimately, it's up to the chief at the time um, to make uh, to make that decision. So we've gone through, I think, maybe two chiefs, you know, in the last five years. So there, there's a lot of changes and stuff like that. Um, but it, it, it depends. It's up to the chief. It hasn't been brought up to the brought up to the new chief yet, but. Um, you know, I guess it is what it is. So the uh, the purpose of the emergency response team was actually we we were supposed to be training to do our own entry. Right. So when we when we go do searches, so the, the ERT was supposed to be trained to be our entry team as well. Um, but, you know, it, it, I guess we got busy or whatever and, and it never it never got approved to do that. So one of the original one of the original purposes was for the ERT to do that because we we have a we have a hard time sometimes 
with local PD for to do entry on our on our search warrants or or not not warrants because we don't need a warrant to search, but you know for our search. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of times we were we were, you know, we would find ourselves in situations where PD would be like, "No, well, we're not going to do entry." I was like, "Well, we need you guys to clear <laughs> to clear the house because we can't clear. We're not authorized to clear." So originally, part of the uh, role of the ERT team was to do that. Um, so right now, basically, we only we only respond to threats within the department. You know, if there's ever an active shooter within the office, uh, you know, anybody with a knife or any fights or anything like that, or things that have, you know, popped up within the office, people getting crazy, then then we respond to that. Well, how would it work, though? If, all right, how many people are on the team? Well, I want to say about 10 or 12. So what happens if all 10 or 12 of you guys are out in the field? That's a great question. <laughs> no, but for the most part, we, we supervisors are usually always at in the office. Like there's never a time where a supervisor isn't in the office and we have supervisors on that team also. So there's always somebody in the office, you know, that is authorized to, you know, to carry at all times. So, so back to the original idea behind the team so what do you guys do now then if you're trying to you know execute a warrant to search on an offender um what do you guys do now if you if if that hasn't been approved we well we we do use pd uh, or we do use pd but there's always something you know it takes forever to for them to get approval we rely a lot on uh the sheriff's office sheriff's department you know they're 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 always they're uh they're probably one of the biggest uh, help we you know within within um, within the county. So in uh, in the Yuma area, we have we have I want to say well we have the sheriff's office you know that covers all of Yuma County, and then we have the city of Yuma, city of Summerton, um, city of San Luis. We have and then we have two uh, Native American tribes you know with their own PD. So we have five different, you know, PD agencies that work within within Yuma County. Um, so I guess depending on their policy, you know, they'll they'll the, the, I guess it determines whether whether or not they're going to help us clear the residents. So whenever a, whenever a certain um, police department doesn't want to help out or they're kind of iffy about you know doing entry for us, you know, um, the sheriff's office is always willing to to help out. And I think that's, that comes from building that good relationship with, with our local, local law enforcement. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard about Yuma um, or I don't know if you guys looked it up where in the map we are, but we're right on the border with, with Mexico. So we're uh, Yuma. Yuma is actually about 30 minutes away from, from the, 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 the Southern, the Southern border. Um, so we have a high presence of, you know, Border Patrol. Um, we have a lot of U.S. Customs. We have we have DEA, FBI, every single federal agency, you know, that that we is is in Yuma because we're right on the border. Um, so we've also built relationships with Border Patrol. They're always willing to help us out, you know, for anything. Um, but I guess when it comes to entry and and things like that, as long as we continue to have help from other agencies, um, 
I don't think we'll be able to <laughs> be our own entry team, which kind of sucks. But I mean, it is what it is. I just, I just, I'm just trying to warn you, like, what if you guys get into a situation where, you know, the PD or the local law enforcement is not willing to assist or they're tied up? Because mm-hmm. um, where I'm at, we, we do all our own stuff. Now, we can hack them for assistance or if we find something, then we'll call them in. Right. Um, but yeah, we do all our own searches, um, you know, clearing houses and things like that. Um, hey, see, guys, that's why it's important to listen to this podcast to learn mm-hmm. it's just, it's different, how things mm-hmm. are different from state to state, county to county, department to department. Things are different. Um, so that's real interesting because I'm really, I'm just trying to figure out how does the, um, because if you guys are trying to do a warrantless search and you call local PD to assist, I can see them saying, well, that's a, fourth amendment issue for them mm-hmm. because they need to have warrants in order to enter a, you know a private residence we're opposed to as long as they're on probation you guys can do it i don't know how your laws are in arizona uh where i'm at um our 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 conditions of probation say that they are subject to warrantless searches by probation and law enforcement so law enforcement is covered uh, but normally it's more of a they're assisting us mm-hmm. um with a search so I'm just curious, how, how are the laws or the rules in Arizona when it comes to one of the searches? It's it's very similar to, to actually, I want to say it's the same, you know, the way you guys have it. Um, the way it's worked in the past with us, whenever we do a search and we start finding a lot of contraband or weapons or whatever, like we'll stop. We'll stop the search um, and then we'll call either the narcotics task force or, or whatever local PD and we'll let them know, hey, this is what happened. This is what we found. Do you guys want to take over? You know, and then. But, but technically, mm-hmm. wouldn't they already be there? Because you need them to help you clear the building, right? They'll clear. Um, they'll clear and then they'll leave. And then they let Okay, clear is and just make sure there's no extra bodies in the house. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they, they will clear for us. But sometimes we do run into, you know, certain certain agencies where like, ah, you know what? we need a warrant or we don't feel comfortable clearing for you guys. I mean, um, I, 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 totally okay. understand. I can totally understand their position. Yeah. On that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which we don't, we don't, we don't get upset or anything because we understand, you know, you got, you got to follow policy or else, you know, you got, you got some, some County attorneys or district attorneys that'll, that'll chew mm-hmm. us out, you know? So, um, but yeah, no, it, it's the way, the way we do it here is if, especially if it's uh if it's um if it's a probation search, they'll clear for us to make sure everything's safe. Then they, a lot of times, some of them, sometimes they stay, other times they just leave because they're also understaffed and overwhelmed, you know? So they're like, if you guys find anything, call us, you know, sometimes we hit, we hit the jackpot um, and then we'll, we'll call them back and they'll take over and then we're done. You know, we'll follow the, uh, the violation of probation warrant and on to the next, to the next one. So would you guys would stay outside while they clear? Yeah. Basically. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they okay. get to do they get to have all the fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So well, good I, to know, guys. Good so this know. this is this is basically, let me just kind of walk you through an example of a search. Let's say um we go to someone's residence, you know. As soon as they open, we, we have to go and knock, right? We have to go and knock and announce, hey, this is Officer Reynoso with probation. Um, 
they'll open the door. You know, we just get there like as if it were a routine, routine, you know, field visit. As soon as the, as soon as the door is open, we just reach in, grab a person's hand and pull them out, cuff them up and say, this is a probation search. And as soon as we do that, as soon as the door is open, as soon as we set foot in the door, um, then PD, PD or, or the sheriff's department comes in and they clear the rest of the residents. And as they're clearing and pulling bodies out, um, we're at the door cuffing people if we need to. That's, base, that's as close as we get for a search. But we don't really, uh, we don't really go from room to room clearing. They, they do that for us. Because we're that's, not allowed that's a, to. That's, that's a policy thing, right? Not a law thing. It's a policy thing, yeah. Is it just the chief is just scared of you guys getting hurt or something? Um, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, it's just a policy thing. I don't know if it's one of those things where it's been this way for the longest time and it's been working for us. So why change it? I think that's what it is because I know, I know um, um, like in the bigger cities like Phoenix, they do things a lot differently from, from the way we do things here. Um, okay. So it's, I guess it varies from County to County here in Arizona. Okay. So uh, how, how is the probation and parole system set up in, in Arizona, you got you guys. So, is it probation is on a county level? Yes and no. <laughs> so, we work for the state. We work for the state. Uh, we work for the. It's called the Arizona Office of the Courts. So, AOC. Okay. So, we we work for AOC, but we also work for the county. So, it's just. I, I think it's just the way that it's it's a money thing and the way they kind of DB up funds. Um. So probation, probation is separate from parole. Okay. So, cause we have, we have the department of corrections, which is its own entity. Um, and then we have, we work, we work directly under the superior court. Okay. So, yeah. So, so each superior court, you know, has its own or, or uh, each County has its, you know, superior court. So we work under the superior court for that County, but since, the superior court is under the state. It's, 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 uh, it's, I really don't know how to explain it, but we work, we work for the state. We're state employees and we're also county employees. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that does make yeah. sense. That's yeah. how my department yeah. was too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then under, in DOC, they have the parole, the, the parole is under DOC. Yes. Okay. Do you work? Do you work with them often? Um, not really. Uh, we. Well, I mean, I've communicated with them a few times. You know, with certain parolees that want to live with our probationers and stuff like that. But, but other than you know, going out and doing searches, not really. Uh, we we really don't. You know, unless it's directly related to probation, then then there's probably a handful of times that I've worked with with parole. Okay. So you guys mm-hmm. really don't mix at all? Not really. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you get hired on for your department, how intense is that interview process? A lot of people want to know that. For our department, uh, I guess it depends on how confident you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it really is because um, I think a lot of people still have this this idea that probation is very very law enforcement driven. Um, 
And I can, I can, I can, I can probably vouch for that because I, if I remember going back to my interview, I had this idea that probation was like, you know, if I'm going to arrest you, I'm going to arrest you and I'm going to take you to jail and whatever. That's what and Chris things, does. You know. <laughs> Not all the time. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but when I was interviewing a lot of the interview, a lot of the interview questions that I remember were, were around, you know, what do you do to help your community? And, tell me about a time where you express leadership and tell me about a time where you help somebody through their problems. And I was like, Oh, interesting. This is, this is very interesting because I have interviewed for, for police positions to be a police officer. And uh, the questions are very, very different, obviously. Right. Because uh, the the nature of the job. Um, But as far as people applying, you know, for our department, I think the biggest thing is, is, uh, the type of person that you are, you know, and if you're confident enough, you know, during the, during the, during, uh, during the interview, you know, that's going to help out because I have a, I have a bachelor's in, in business, you know, it has nothing related to social work um, or, or, or law enforcement. Oh, you wow. Know? That's a first. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, te- <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you that just, just the way I got to probation is, is just, you know, it, it, it you know, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to say, because I'm a man of faith, it was God's will. You know, it, it I got mm-hmm. there and, and, and after, after I started working probation, I said, you know what? I really like this. And that's when I decided to pursue my, my master's in, uh, and it's a master's in divinity, um, which is what I needed to become a chaplain in the air force. Um, and it, that, that, my, that, that master's degree involves like pastoral counseling, crisis counseling and all that other good stuff. Um, which has helped me in my in, in, in pro, on probation. You know? Well, given that you didn't have any experience, how was the training? Uh, not difficult if that's if that's what you're saying. It was it was an like I said, it was it was an eye opener for was me. Was it a structured type of thing, like a one week class, six months? We have a two week probation officer academy. Okay, what so does that entail? With, within those two weeks, um, we're we're taught state law. You know, we're taught you know how to work with people. We, we're taught uh, the different types of caseloads: sex offenders, domestic violence, intensive probation, supervised probation. Um, you know, GPS work furlough, and they kind of teaches the ins and outs of of what it is to do probation here in the, in, in the state of Arizona. And um, as of late, like within these last few years, a lot of it has shifted a little bit more towards, you know, cognitive restructuring. So a little bit more to the social work side. Um, So they'll teach us, you know, motivational interviewing. Um, They'll teach us, excuse me, um, you know, the cognitive cognitive behavioral intervention stuff, the CBI stuff. Yeah. So they'll teach us a lot of a lot of that stuff. so it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not difficult. It's not extensive as a, like a regular police academy would be. Um, so we do a two week probation officer academy. And then if you want to, if you want to be a, a firearms hearing officer, we do a one week academy for that. And then if you want to be a, and then you, we go through a one week defensive tactics academy. So overall, you know, as a new officer, it would be maybe, about four weeks training. 
Oh, cool. Mm. Do you do all of those consecutively or kind of spread out? It depends on the county. So I think it's uh, for our county, it's kind of spread out depending on the availability availability. Uh, bigger counties. I've heard that they've done it, you know, all consecutive. Okay. Are you able yeah. to start working while you're still waiting to take those academies or those classes? Yeah, actually. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, the way our, our department has done it in the past, they'll allow the officers to work for up to a year before, or they have a year to complete the academy. So um, newer officers can be working as a probation officer. You know, they get sworn in and everything before even going to the academy. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. So they just start doing a lot of shadowing during that period. Um, or they actually have an actual caseload and they kind of just no, you, you, you have a, you, you get a caseload. You get a caseload. Wow. That's and how it was back in PA. Oh, Second man. how it was back in PA, man. I remember. As soon as you remember, started, here's your caseload. I remember when I first started, uh, when I first started as a probation officer, because in our, in our, in our department, we have two, two different types of officers. We have surveillance officers and then we have probation officers. Okay. So the surveillance officers are the ones that are mostly out in the field. You know, they're out in the field about 90% of the time. You know, they're the ones that, um, because within Arizona, we have the sex offenders unit and then we have intensive probation. So if you're on intensive probation, you get two officers, (laughs) you get a probation officer and you get a surveillance officer. So the surveillance officer is the one that goes out, out on the field and, you know, checks up and reports to the probation officer. Hey, so-and-so is doing this. I found this, this, and that. And then the probation officer is the one that kind of, you know, you know, determines what they're going to do next, you know, with this, this particular offender. So I started, I started with the probate with, as a surveillance officer, I was a surveillance officer for about maybe four months. And then I promoted to probation officer. Um, so when I went, when I got, when I started, they said, they put me on an intensive probation uh, case, which is limited to about 25 people. Um, but we have to see these people at least three times a week at home. Oh, wow. right. Yeah. Um, so when, when I, I was a rookie, man, and when they, when they gave me this case, so they're like, all right, this is your desk. This is uh, your caseload. <laughs> Let me know if you have any questions. Um, and it was, it was very difficult, you know, but it's been, it's been a lot different, you know, from the moment that I started to how it is now, you know, that's, that's, that's something that my department has done very well. You know, they saw, they saw the need, they saw people, how, how people were getting burnt out. Um, and they saw how, how, um, you know, it, it, that we couldn't just expect people to kind of just know, you know, so, um, but our department has done a good job in changing that, you know, so for newer officers that come in, they'll start off with a caseload of about maybe, maybe 10, 15 people. Um, and they'll put them on a, like a, a, what we call a standard, standard supervision caseload, um, kind of to get your feet wet. And once you're, once you kind of get momentum and get the ball rolling and, and you're getting used to it and you're starting to know what the job is, um, you know, they'll, they'll start adding a little bit more, more people onto, onto that, onto your caseload. I see that's how it is around a lot of agencies. Mm-hmm. They just throw you in there like, hey, here you go. 
<laughs> That's so strange. Yeah. But I mean, it's, I don't know if it's a training issue or what, but it's, it's, uh, Honestly, me personally, that's how I learned. <laughs> right. A lot I, of people I learn the job on yeah, the job. You just yeah. have to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I actually, I like learning that way. You know, I like, I like taking the wheel, you know, and driving and be like, all right, just tell me, tell me where everything's at and tell me, you know, what I can do or, and, or what not, just tell me what not to do. And then we'll go from there. <laughs> that's the thing when you're going through probation, as you're working, you learn things that you shouldn't do. Like, mm-hmm. Something you, you didn't even think about is going to come up and you're going to be like, dang, I wish somebody had told me that. But you would never get to it unless you went through it. Right. It's weird. Right. Yeah, a big part of this job really is, I think they give you the foundation, but it's you, your personality, and how you address things that kind of dictate how the job is. Because like I said, every officer is different. Every officer does the job differently within the parameters of mm-hmm. policy and the rules and everything and that's kind of a great thing about this job is that you really can be yourself as long as you're doing the job and you're within policy so because like i said there's some officers i work with that are real you know on the two side of the scale and i got some officers i work with that are on the eight side of the scale but as long as they're within policy and all the boxes are getting checked and all the supervisions are happening you know, then they're fine. You can do the mm-hmm. job pretty much however you want. And even back in PA, where we've been a juvenile officer, it was even way more than that. Because like I said, there was officers that rarely ever left the office. I don't know how they even saw their juvenile offenders. Um, and there's people that were never in the office, always out in the field. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're doing the job, nobody really said anything yeah. to you. And you know what? It's it's so it's so true what you're saying because. Um, you know, we, we, ha- we have to go out, we have to go out and see people, you know, we have to, you know, see them in their environment, obviously. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's scary sometimes because I, I've, um, when I inherited this caseload that I, that I'm currently on, you know, I started doing field visits and I started, you know, and people were, some, some, some people were like, why are you here? I'm like, uh, what do you what do you mean? Why am I here? Well, <laughs> You're on other, probation. <laughs> I'm a probation officer. What do you yeah, mean? Why am I here? Well, my my other PO never came to come see me. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, well, I, I've just, gotten that too. Uh, it just kind of makes you cringe a little bit. But you yeah, know what? Yeah. It's it's uh. Um, I so I would just tell them, well, get used to seeing me because you're gonna see me a lot more often. And uh, right. some people didn't like it. Um, but I mean, it, it it it's just part of it. You know, it's part of it. Um. But that's just that's just the way it is sometimes, you know. And, and unfortunately, um, I don't I don't I don't blame the officer. You know, sometimes they get overwhelmed. Sometimes they don't know how to manage the stress or the situation or, or um, you know, the number of cases that they that they have. You know, I personally right now I have 40, 42 cases um, and they're all actually, and two of them are actually locked up right now. Um, but I have 40 people out in the streets. Uh, so. So I have to find a way to, to balance my time and balance, you know, going out on the field, you know, making sure they come and see me, making sure they're, they're dropping UAs and making sure they're, they're doing treatment. It could get a little overwhelming. How often do they come in for office visits? It depends. It depends. Um, it depends on, on, on what we call their, 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 uh, their OST score, it's called an offender screening tool. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. So we use that to determine what level of supervision that they're going to be taking. So anybody, pretty much everybody does that nowadays. Yeah. So anybody that scores, that scores, um, that scores over, I want to say a 17, if I'm not mistaken, they'll, they're considered a high risk, high risk offender. So they would see me once a week or not once a week, once a month in my, in my office. And then I'll see them once a month out in the field or out at work or out at their homes, wherever, wherever they, wherever they are, if they score, if they score, you know, kind of a medium, medium risk, then I'll see them once every three months in my office. And then the month that, that the month, let's say I saw them in the, in my office this month. So next month I'm going to go see them out in the field. And then the following month I'll get like a, like a collateral, what we call collateral contacts, a contact treatment to make sure that they're going to treatment. Then the following month, you know, they'll see me in the office and I kind of just rotate my caseload. That way I'm not getting, you know, 40 people in the office, you know, that month, or I have to go out and see 40 people in one month. You know, it's because it can, it can get a little chaotic sometimes, especially when people start violating. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. So, yeah, when, it, <laughs> when it rains, it pours. I'm telling you. I figure with your always- caseload, you would see them in the office more often. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. depends on the, the level. It depends on it depends on the level, you know, okay. and, and, and um, you know, for the most part, for the most part, you know, the, the people that score higher. Um, I do I do kind of keep a like a like a tighter. You know, like a, like a tighter grip on them, because I, you know, they're they're on for pretty serious stuff, you know, and and and. You know, at the end of the day, if something happens and I didn't address it before, then it falls on me. You know, so um, yep. I'm not about to. <laughs> I'm not about, and I I tell my people, I'm like, look, guys, I'm not going to talk to you like a child. I'm not because you're not. You're an adult. You know, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna be straightforward with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna treat you with respect. Um, but if I have to address something, I'm going to tell you and I'm, and I'm going to be straightforward with it. And for the most part, they're very, they're, they're cool. You know, they're cool with it. Um, cause I established that, you know, that respect and that ground from the very beginning. Um, that goes a long way. so far, yeah, I build that rapport right away. So, so far, so far it's been working for me. I haven't had anybody who gone crazy or, or anything like that. So what's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. You know what, Chris, we haven't talked about a lot is the paperwork side of being a probation officer because we've done what, 12 episodes and the paperwork was very intense in my department. So how is it where you are? Chris, I want to hear from you, too, because we haven't really talked about this either. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that a lot of POs would complain about is the, the paperwork. So mm-hmm. tell me what's what's it like over there where you are, David? I mean, paperwork is paperwork <laughs> every job that i've had has had paperwork uh so uh, i i kind of knew coming into it that there was going to be a lot of paperwork especially when they told me it was a case management job um it's i want to say about 80 percent of my time is, is spent doing paperwork exactly yeah 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 it's it's uh um, I, I, I can't tell you this. I'm really good at writing reports. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like I said, 80, 80% of the time I'm, I'm, I'm in the office writing reports, uh, typing in case notes, um, you know, 
talking to the court, you know, making sure that we're doing everything we're supposed to do, um, making sure that we're, we're, you know, ultimately keeping the community, you know, safe. Um, but honestly, I'm not, I'm not really bothered by, by the paperwork. That, that's just me personally. It can get annoying sometimes, but. Do you have to draft court documents? Like motions? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So yeah, you'll we'll Go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. We'll do uh, uh, petitions to revoke probation, petitions to modify conditions of probation. We'll do uh, uh, petition or uh, violation reports. Um, we do pre-sentence investigations. I don't, I don't do that right now. Eventually I'll do that when, when I get tired of field work, I'll probably transition to that. Uh, but yeah, we, yeah, we, we do a little bit of everything there. Okay, Chris, I want to hear from you. (laughs) All right. So, all right. So back in PA, um, I was actually part of a a, a team that was trying to help us move uh, away from paper it moved more towards um, doing things electronically. We actually, they actually uh, bought us um, tablet computers. So they're actually full Windows computers, but they, um, so the keyboard detaches and you can use it as a tablet and we have the um, juveniles or their parents sign documents right on it, which was nice. Then we uploaded it to our, our database and we would e- we could email those documents to the offender and to their uh, parents. So when they first got on probation, we would require them to set up an email address, Gmail, Yahoo, whatever. We don't care where your email is, but you have to have an email address because we're cutting down on paper. So a lot of the things, um, like the things you do, like an intake, go over like the conditions and the rules and all that stuff, emergency contacts, all that good stuff. Um, we would have them uh, do all that stuff electronically and then upload to our database and email them copies. And then if we had any other like modifications or any kind of consent forms, we had to have them sign. We do all that electronically. That was really nice. Then current state, they're not like that. They're very paper heavy, very paper heavy. Um, Everything is a form. Uh, You print the form off the computer, you fill it out, had the offender sign, and then you do it. You got to turn a copy into the clerk's office. You got to keep a copy for your file that we keep in the office. It's very paper heavy. We go through so much paper. It's ridiculous, but it is what <laughs> it is. What it is. Yeah. Um, but the, the computer work, like you said, is a lot. Um, our computer system that we use, our offender management system, um, constantly having put notes in. Um, when we have our monthly appointments, there's like a, a separate software we use just for that. So there's a software we use for our, our narratives our case notes, then there's actual, we actually have our monthly appointments with the offenders and separate system that we use where it logs all that stuff. Um, there's a bunch of standard questions that we have to ask and go over with them. Um, and it can, it can, it can be a lot. It can be a lot. Um, I'm fortunate that the position, the position I took over the drug court position came with a laptop. Mm. Most POs don't have laptops. I'm going to say only a handful of POs actually have laptops. Most have a desktop in their office. So I was pretty fortunate to have that. Um, I actually went ahead and that I call it an investment because uh, now with the quote with COVID, we're doing a lot more seeing people. We're not really seeing people in our office. A lot of our visits are out in the field. So our that monthly contact that we would do with the offender, we're doing those out in the field at their homes because mm-hmm. um, they don't want they don't want people in the office um, to reduce the likelihood of spread. Um, because if an offender comes in or an employee comes in, they test positive, they shut the office down and have to spend money to clean it. 
So they're trying to really limit the amount of people that are in the office. Um, so I actually invested um, and I bought a, a laptop mount for my state car so I could actually use my laptop in my state car. So I can literally just, I wouldn't even have to go to office. I could literally just park in a parking lot somewhere and pull all my notes in on my computer in the car and be comfortable, drive to somebody's house, have my meeting, leave the house, go park somewhere at a McDonald's or a shopping center or something, put my notes in. So mm-hmm. I can really be independent of the office. But unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that because yeah. um, they have desktops. I did hear that they're looking to transition to laptops, but you know how things are when it comes to money. It takes time. <laughs> yeah. It's um, cool. I actually saw that. Uh, I think a picture of, of you with your laptop inside your car on Instagram. Oh my god! It's a dude. It's the like, best so thing cool, ever. Man. Oh man! I it's wish. I wish ever. I had a. I wish I had a car like that, man. Yeah, it's go, the best go. thing ever. Oh man! It makes it. Trust me, man. It makes things so much easier. Mm-hmm. So much easier. I mean, I'm using the Wi-Fi off my phone, which is fine. I have unlimited data anyway, so it's not like yeah. it's cost me anything extra. Um, I have a power inverter that is plugged into the cigarette lighter and I plug the, the laptop charger into, and like I said, I have to mount and it just works out fine. It works out lovely. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want, let's get back into, so you, uh, have a specialized domestic violence caseload. Yes, Does that mean there's a regular domestic violence caseload and then a specialized one? No, basically you know what that means. No, <laughs> in a nutshell, uh, every, every, uh, dv case that comes through comes to me okay so yeah. it's not so okay so so you are basically a dv officer i'm a dv officer so there's two okay. there's two dv officers that so we split our county i have i'm in charge of east county and my partner's in charge of south county um so depending on where they live what part of the county um you know that's the officer that's going to get the case uh, all of my cases are, are, are standard probation. Um, I don't get any intensive probation DV cases. Is there somebody that does get that? Yes. Um, it, it just goes to an intensive probation officer. There's no, okay. speci- there's no specialized intensive probation DV. Um, so an intensive probation officer can get, uh, they can get any, really any case that gets placed on intensive, um, with the exception of uh, sex offenders, there is a there is a there is a specific sex offender caseload with IPS and standard supervision. Okay, let's go ahead and tell let's tell let's tell the family more about being a uh, domestic violence officer. So, what all does that entail? A lot of times, I have to be the bad guy. I have to tell them, no, you cannot live with your girlfriend right now, or no, you cannot have access, or you cannot. Uh, live with your parents right now and things like that. And that's probably the most difficult part of it. They're the the victims. Yes. And, and the most difficult part of this caseload is when the victim is allow is allowing the offender, you know, to, to reside with them or they're, they're constantly calling me and saying, I need him. I need, I need them back at the home or I need this. I need that. You know, they're the sole provider. And, that's probably the hardest, the hardest part of my job is telling them, I'm sorry, I can't do that. You know, and they don't understand that to me. They see me as the bad guy because I'm, I'm se- separating them, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, if I, if I allow this person to go back home, 
you know, he's he's beating you like six, seven times. You know, mm-hmm. he's not he, he's not gonna stop. And if he does it again, then it's my fault. And I'm not I'm not about to I'm not about to put myself in that situation, you know, and 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 it's it's uh it's that's probably the hardest part of my job. Has you know, that happened before? It happened. Yeah, it's happened. It's happened. That it you happens. allowed them to, to stay there? Uh, there's exceptions. I've, okay. I've made, exce- I've, I have made exceptions. Um, especially if I see somebody that, ha- that started treatment prior to getting sentenced, you know, and, and I'll get, I'll get Intel from, from the treatment provider and see how they're doing there. And, and then I'll, you know, I'll do my research before I say, yeah, it's okay for you to live, to live at home. You know, obviously I take a look at their crime history and, and to see if they, you know, have a violent nature or whatever. Um, I'll make, I'll make exceptions sometimes, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's difficult in that sense where, where you kind of have, you kind of have to have that thick skin and say, nope, not today. You know, that would be so hard for me. Yeah. It's (laughs) (laughs) no, that's, it's, it's, again, you know, my pastoral side wants to come out and (laughs) Mm -hmm. give them the benefit of the doubt, you know, but at the same time, you know, you were, you stabbed this person four times and then, you know, things like that, you know, it's, it's, you chase them around the house with a machete, you know, it's like, oh man. Oh my God. Yeah. I have, I, I have some, some very, very interesting, interesting cases where I'm like, why are you, why aren't you in prison right now? That's what <laughs> so, I'm wondering right now. Chasing yeah, somebody so. with a machete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Yeah. With domestic violence, do you, do you find that there's a uh, cultural differences that play a big role in um, the, uh, the offender's attitudes towards it? Yes. And let me tell you why I'm his, I'm, 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 I'm Hispanic. I'm Mexican. You know, I grew up, I grew up in the border, you know, I grew up, eating freaking tacos and tortas and all that other other rolling my r's <laughs> so <Make me> hungry <laughs> so uh a lot of a lot of a lot of my, my culture you know um we tend to be very very macho you know unfortunately um i think my generation is kind of changing that a little bit but you know my grandparents my parents um they have this uh this idea that you know, the man of the house, you know, can do whatever they want. You see what I'm saying? So, and if it means beating the snot out of the, out of the wife or beating the snot out of, you know, uh, the, the kids, you know, that's just, that's just part of it. You know, he's the man, he's the dominant person. And we have to, we have to respect that type thing. Um, so I run into that a lot, especially with the older, older offenders, the younger ones, not so much. Um, but I think culture has a lot to do with it. You know, and, and it's 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 kind of scary because um, those are probably the hardest cases I have. You know, people that think that way because they don't see they don't see anything wrong. Um, one particular case, uh, a Native American Native American um, individual. He was in my case. I was just overhearing the conversation he was having with my partner, and he he literally said. Well, you know, you know, things got a little out of hand, you know, and I, and I choked out, I choked out my wife and she passed out, you know, you know, you know, it happens sometimes. It's really matter of factly. Yeah. And then, and then. That was a Thursday. (laughs) Exactly. And my partner's like, 
No, that do- that doesn't happen. He's like, and then and then, oh my goodness, I didn't know whether to laugh or be to be angry because he literally said, he literally said, "What? Don't act like you've never choked out your wife." And my my partner was like, "No, I have never choked out. I have never choked out anybody, let alone my wife." And that that was so normal to this guy that it's like, and they they didn't they didn't see very very narcissistic, um, but they didn't they didn't see where they were where they were wrong, you know, and, and that, and that's, uh, that's, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with, with the culture and how they're raised and, and what they're raised to believe or think. Are there uh, special conditions that they have that regular probationers don't have? Yes, they do. They have their, their, these special conditions are primarily built around protecting the victim. Um, they're not allowed to have contact. They're not allowed to drive, you know, around, um, you know, where the victim resides. They're not allowed to have like surveillance equipment at home. Um, it's very, uh, they're also very treatment driven. You know, I have to be able to have access to their treatment plans and their treatment providers and have that one-on-one communication with with their case managers and stuff like that. So yeah, there's there's a there's a specific set of conditions for for our offenders. Where I'm at, a big part of um, because I've never had a domestic violence caseload, and I don't think it's a caseload that I personally could handle. Sex offenders, domestic violence, or those are just two caseloads I personally I know I couldn't do. I just don't think mm-hmm. I have the mentality for it. Um, but I know here, because I've never been a DV officer, but I know talking to the DV officers where I'm at, a big part of what they have to do is um, they're not, the offenders are not allowed to have uh, firearms or ammunition. So a lot of what they do is they have to do um, random searches to make sure that they aren't in possession of those things. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you guys have to deal with? Oh, yeah. That's actually one of our standard conditions of probation. No, uh, they're not allowed to have firearms or, or uh, any deadly weapons or ammunition or anything like that. Um, but yeah, we'll do, especially if, if there was a, a firearm involved um, in the, in the offense, I'll, I'll do cursory searches every once in a while, you know, open drawers, um, making sure that, you know, they're, that they're not in possession of any firearms. Um, actually right before Christmas, my partner hated me for this because <laughs> the day before Christmas break, you know, it was about, three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, two more hours and then we're off for Christmas break. <laughs> uh, we go through a walkthrough and I find a box of live, ma- live ammo in uh, one of my, one of my guys' house. I'm like, ah, oh, great. So, <laughs> so right then and there, um, we had to, we had to, I played it off. Like I pretended like I didn't see it. I played it off. We retreated. Um, and then we had to call a search team. Um, and it was it was it was it was really hard because, you know, during the holidays, you're running on a skeleton crew, you know, so there's no one. Everyone's on vacation. So we were trying to, you know, kind of get officers from pull officers from all over from from all over uh, the area to see who was able to get there. So we had to we ended up finding we didn't find a gun. We just found a bunch of ammo boxes and, and then we kind of left it at that. But yeah. And um was that a violation for him? No, because uh, the father, the father, you know, that's probably another issue we run with as enabling parents. 
the father took ownership of, of uh, the ammunition. He's like, Oh, that's mine. You know, mm -hmm. he, it, it was a brand new case that I had gotten. So I was just verifying, verifying the residents and doing just walk through just routine stuff. Um, you hear that, Brittany? That's, that's what you're supposed to do. You to walk through, verify the address, you know, do a walk through. Mm -mm. I'm calling right site. now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, man, it was, I was just kind of doing the routine stuff, you know, and, and it's a brand new case that I, that actually had gotten transferred from a different county um, that I hadn't, and the guy had just moved maybe a week before. And the dad told me, oh, you know what? We forgot to clean out the room. That animal is actually mine. So I'm like, all right. You know, and I, we asked, I was like, can you show me? Cause he said he did have a safe and he did have ammo and stuff like that and guns that nobody has access to. So I was like, okay. just show, like, show me, show me where your safe is and show me that it, it's actually yours. So they showed us, um, they, we had a supervisor on scene and the supervisors, the supervisor was the one that was like, all right, well, he has it. He, he has proof. He has a safe. No one has access to it. So we just turned over the ammo to the dad and we just left it at that. So what, what are the common things that, um, that domestic violence offenders get get violated for? What's the most common things? Is it DV related or just regular standard condition of probation related stuff? Actually, the majority of my violations have been dirty UAs, drug use. Um, and obviously there's a correlation there, you know, especially mm -hmm. people who are on meth, they get paranoid, they get jealous. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's the biggest thing. So a lot of my offenders are addicts. Um, and that's the first thing that I address, um, especially if they have a lengthy history of drug use. That's where my focus lies is to make sure that they stay clean and then, and then eventually work around that. Because I mean, if, if they're not going to stay clean, if they're still using drugs, then they're going to have a hard time, you know, staying within, um, you know, they're going to have a hard time not trying to beat somebody up, you know. The ones who use meth, they, they scare me the most, I swear, because mm -hmm. they do some crazy stuff. Oh, yeah. That, they're, they're probably the worst. Um, I don't know. The, scare, the, the scariest ones as far as, you know, um, use, I would have to say people on fentanyl. I don't know how big fentanyl is where you guys are at. Um, it wasn't big where I'm at. But where I'm at, it's uh, it's because it, it comes from Mexico. It comes directly from, you know, from from cartel, the cartels in Mexico. And it's crazy how much we see it here. Um, and that's scary in itself, not because they get violent or anything. It's just because simply, you know, one one small dose can kill you right away. Oh and, gosh. you know, within I think last year, I think 2019 was probably one of the worst years we, we saw a bunch of ODs. Um, especially amongst juveniles, you know, because they'll, they'll, um, they'll get, they'll get, they'll get kids, 15 year old kids, you know, that, that'll cross into Mexico and the cartels will be like, no, you're a teenager. They won't do anything to you. Oh, and, uh, and they'll use them as mules and they'll bring the drugs over and, and they'll sell them in high schools. I, fent fentanyl is huge in high school right now. It's, it's, it's kind of scary. Um, I'm sure the juvenile POs have to deal with that. Oh, huh? yeah, they, they have their hands full. Oh, man. 
they have their hands full. But when it comes to DB, um, DB, DB related stuff, probably math is the worst. Is the worst. What would you tell somebody uh, that was going to be voluntold that they're going to be on a domestic violence caseload? Uh, what what would you tell them to kind of get them mentally prepared for this kind of caseload? I would probably, I would probably just tell them it's not as bad as you think. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 a. um, <clears throat> again, it, it probably has a lot to do with my pastoral side, you know, because, um, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're people, they're broken people, and they just need, they just need to be, you know, shown, um, you know, a different alternative than to, I mean, I hate to say than to beating somebody up, you know, right. and that's, a lot of times they have very poor coping skills and they, they don't know, they don't know these things. And, and, and it's, it's, I guess it's just part of our job to, to lead them, lead them towards, uh, towards that. Cause I've, I've had a few officers tell me, Oh, I can never do what you do. I was like, well, I mean, I mean, there's, there's really no difference from, from what you have, you know, it's, it's uh, at the end of the day, um, they're people. And as long as we treat them, treat them with respect and treat them, you know, give them the time of day, I think that's what probably helps. And uh, maybe their whole life, no one has ever considered them or ever given them the time of day. Um, on paper, some of these people are horrible. I, I, it's like, oh my god! But uh-huh. it's like, it's like, but then you get to talk to them, and and then you get to know them, and kind of get a bigger picture of what what they went through as kids. Right. And you're like, you know what? It makes sense. You know, I'm not justifying what they're what what you're doing, but it makes sense that you are the way that you are. It's always funny to me how people say, I could never do what you do, but these people are in the community with you every day. You talk mm-hmm. to them, you deal with them too. We just mm-hmm. deal with them on a slightly different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, hey, and David. Yes. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, your thoughts. No, I was, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, you know, at the end of the day, um, even, even us as officers, you know, we, we have our issues, you know, we have our problems, we have our bad days. You know, the only difference is that we probably know how to cope with it a little bit better. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and it's like, oh, you know, sometimes when I, when I get upset, I want to slam a door or, or a shelf or something, you know, but. Uh, oh, I'm editing that part yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't let that, you know, get to me. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't do it because, because I know better. See what I'm saying? You know, I know that there's a different out there. There's a different out, you know? So for me personally, um, you know, the way I cope is I, I do, I do jujitsu and, uh, and I lift weights, you know, and that's, that's probably my out. You know, a lot of these, a lot of those people that I have don't, don't know how, or don't know how to you know, cope with the issues. And, you know, it results in, in them being, you know, being in the system. You know, you sound real close to the one on the two hat skill right now. You're more of the social work. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, so tell, I'm, tell, I'm telling you that my pastoral side comes out. Um, it, it, I just wear my heart on, on, on my sleeve for, for some of these people. But don't 
don't be mistaken. I, I, I will throw down if I have to. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we hear you. Yeah, I will. I will. I will throw down if I have to. Um, and it, it's, 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 uh, and that's, that's what I, I, I tell, I tell, uh, I get, I get made fun of a lot at work, you know, oh man, my, why, why don't you just give your people hugs and stuff? I was like, <laughs> if I, I said, if I could, I would, you know, but at the same time, Ooh, that's a hard Priya right there. That's a hard Priya. <laughs> I said, I said, uh, but at the same time, um, my, a lot of my fellow officers know that I have their back, you know? Right. And when, when something's go, when something's going to go down, they're like, Hey, David, I need, I need you to, I need you to, I need you to come help me out. This is going down. I was like, Hey, let's do it, man. You know, like That's I know, cool. I know exactly when to switch hats. You know, it's, it's, uh, um, something that I tell my, the, the officers that I'm, that I'm close with, closer with in the department is when, when they're about to go out, out of the field, I'm like, Hey man, be safe. And remember, don't hesitate. You know, and that's always something that, that I take with me every time I, you know, I leave home, don't hesitate. You know, don't be complacent. Don't be complacent. Exactly. Because at the end, it's, it's like I was telling you in the beginning, um, you know, there's a few people that will respond to probation. And then there's, there's the other, the other few that are just knuckleheads and that, that simply don't care. They'll do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cool. Jug got space. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, David, what kind of safety equipment um, and things are you guys issued out there? We, we have everything except for tasers. That's the only thing we don't have is tasers. Um, the list. Yeah, and I think it's a, just a funding issue, honestly. Um, we have, well, we have our firearms. We have three magazines. Um, what are you guys issued? We have a Glock. We actually just switched over back in November. We had Glock 22s, a 40 millimeter, and we switched mm-hmm. to the Glock 43. Uh, so I think it's, I think they're nine, nine millimeters. Look, 43 is a, is a subcompact. No, no, 40, not, not 43, not 43. I have a 45. I think it was a 45. Yeah, whatever the law enforcement edition of. It, has, a, a, has, the long, has the longer frame and a short, shorter slide. Yeah, yeah. This right uh, here. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's my baby right there. Yeah. So that's 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 what we carry. That's what we carry. Why that's what, that's what we're just done on your waist. You ask you why are you asking questions? Why are you asking questions? <laughs> this is what so this, this is, podcast is about. It's questions. <laughs> well, first of all, Brittany, let's talk about you for a second. Talking about I ain't gonna carry a gun at work, but outside of work, you stay strapped. Yes, very much. Let's so talk bad. about that. Let's talk okay, about Okay, you're that. right. We uh, shouldn't ask these type of questions. Go ahead, okay, David. Oh, <laughs> uh, but what I was saying is actually right, about the switching over to, uh, from 40 cal to the uh, mm. Glock 45. That's actually mm. why I got a Glock 45, so I can have yeah. one. So I can have the same gun I carry at work be the same gun I carry yeah. off duty. So you always have that familiar uh, familiarization. Um, yeah. All right, go ahead. So you guys are you guys switch over to the Glock forty five and nine millimeter, yeah. which is kind of that's what is going on across it's, the country. A lot of people are switching from yeah, the forty to the so. nine. And and obviously you get you get more rounds. You get more rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest things. The only difference is I had a I think it's the Glock that I have now is a little smaller. So I have big hands. So it's like it's like. I feel like I'm carrying it with like my fingers sometimes. Just add, so, you, you can add the back straps. Yeah, and, and and that's that's what that's what they told me. I just hadn't got I haven't gotten to it, but 
Yeah, it's not um, that hard, man. Especially the back straps out. Put a large one on there. Um, mm-hmm. You either have the regular large one or use large. I use a large one with the beaver tail because I get the bikes, the uh, the Glock's bite where the slide catches a little webbing on your hand. Mm-hmm. That happens to me all the time. So I have the uh, beaver tail on there so that doesn't happen. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll probably I'll probably do that. Yeah, it'll make it, it'll make it easier for you to uh, it'll be more comfortable for you to shoot, um, and easier to carry. All right, so you guys have the Glock. What else you guys have? Glock. We got we got batons. We got okay. Uh, batons. In our, our OC spray. Uh, like I said, the only thing that me personally, I carry I carry a, a, a tourniquet on my on okay. my vest. Um, I carry my Narcan just in case, and I have two mm-hmm. two sets of handcuffs. And you guys wear your body armor on the outside or the inside, or outside. you have an option. Outside, outside, yeah. Do you have your option of wearing it underneath your shirt? No, no. We we all okay. get outer outer carry carriers. Okay, cool. Uh, my second question was, how well do you guys work with um, mm-hmm. local law enforcement? Because I know some agencies can be hit or miss. Um, so how do you guys generally work with we you actually, know, PB we, and SO? We work uh, very well, actually. Um, we have a very very good relationship with with all the local agencies. Other than, you know, what I was telling you guys earlier, sometimes that's probably the only issue. But as far as communication goes, um, we understand the importance of, you know, having that rapport with our with our local agencies, because at the end of the day, you know, um, we can help them out and uh, they'll help us out. You know, and I think that's really important. And then we like I said, Yuma is a small community. So we have friendships and um, we have friendships everywhere in all these agencies. So. Just, just stay safe, you know, um, stay focused when you start getting overwhelmed um, because you will get overwhelmed. You will get stressed out. Just remember Preach. why you're doing. Just remember why you're doing what you're doing, you know, and that's probably the biggest thing. That's what gets me. That's what gets me up in the morning, you know, um, you know, making sure. And that's why I'm happy to go to work. You know, obviously, you know, the camaraderie that I built within the department with the other officers, but. At the end of the day, if we can make a difference in one person, that'll just create a ripple effect. And that's what we're about. All right. Mm-hmm. All right, family. Definitely uh, take everything David said uh, to heart uh, about this field. And they, hey, thank, thank you again. And you be safe out there in these streets. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And likewise, stay safe. And as David was saying um, about 1350 Apparel, they do make great uh, probation shirts. Uh, they say probation on them. Uh, they're moisture wicking. They are great for the summer when it's hot, especially wearing underneath the vest. Um, so definitely 1350 apparel. If you guys are hearing this, giving you guys a shout out, definitely send us a DM. We can talk, we can talk something. <laughs> Thank you so much, David, for joining us on today's episode. You guys, please go and follow David on Instagram at David Reynoso. He didn't tell me to tell y'all that, but I'm telling y'all that. And make sure you follow the Two Heads Podcast. And this is Chris, the Tactical Operation Officer, and Brittany, your favorite PO. And I'll see you next week.